All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And without the power of Elon Musk thrusters, the Mars Magazine pod is back. This is Adario Strange here with... Fix Song. And this week, we're going to talk about the new series from HBO, Westworld. That is the remake of the 1970s B-movie classic about a robotic uh, or android resort that goes uh, kind of off the rails. But first, we're going to talk about a couple of the science, technology, and sci-fi things that happened this week. And most importantly, we want to get into the Black Mirror trailers that finally dropped. Uh, Black Mirror is a British show that uh, started on Channel 4 in the UK, and it's had two seasons and one special, uh, Christmas special. It's finally coming to the States, and we finally saw the trailer. You saw the trailer, yes? Yep. You know, they describe Black Mirror, for anyone out there listening who hasn't actually seen the show, they describe it as Twilight Zone for our modern age. And that's pretty apt because it's got this really cool, creepy, eerie feel to it while telling these kind of, I guess you could say, cautionary tales about how technology plays into our lives. And you actually see quite a bit of that in the third season's trailers. Uh, One of the tidbits we got to see was Bryce Dallas Howard. She plays someone who seems to be playing some sort of social media popularity game, or at least that's what I got from the trailer. Uh, there was another person who was about, he was signing like a waiver in order to be able to play some sort of virtual reality type game. So, you know, these are, these are situations, at least from the trailer that we could see that maybe would happen in a couple of years from now, maybe even a couple of months from now. You mean in terms of like technology that is emergent yeah. in the yeah. real world being fictionalized? Yeah. And, you know, I actually thought the, the trailer was kind of terrifying for that, that exact reason. Yeah. It's a six episode run and it's coming. Of course, on Netflix. Netflix is killing it. Netflix goodness is overwhelming. We have Stranger Things. We have the whole Hell's Kitchen thing with uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and uh, Iron Fist coming soon. Marco Polo. I'm almost prepared to say at this point, couldn't you just, if you wanted to, maybe just have Netflix and maybe HBO as apps and and that's it? Maybe that and maybe just the news. Yeah, no, I, you know, tons of people are actually cutting the cord and that's what they're doing. They're just, I think some people would throw in Hulu in there as well, because sometimes Netflix for shows that they don't own, if you want to watch the season as it's in progress and not have to actually have a television, you kind of need Hulu as a stopgap. But I think you're right. Like I, I basically watch my TV primarily from the HBO app, um, the Hulu app, and the Netflix app. And I think the other thing that just kind of really talks to how high quality this new season of Black Mirror looks to be is the people that they got for these episodes. They've got, like I mentioned, Bryce Dallas Howard. They have Wyatt Russell, who's actually Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son, and he's an actor, and you might know him more from 22 Jump Street. They have Jerome Flynn or Braun from uh, Game of Thrones, Tyrion's buddy, uh, Mike Kelly, who plays Doug, St- Doug Stamper from House of Cards, and one of the directors that they actually got for the episodes is uh, Dan Trachenberg, who is uh, known for this year's 10 Cloverfield Lane, which we talked about in the inaugural episode of our pod. So Yeah, yeah, his, uh, his episode is called Playtest, and um, they're all dropping on October 21st, as is usually the case with Netflix. They're going to drop the entire batch <laughs> on one day. So October 21st, just uh, a little bit. Before Halloween, the series was created by Charlie Brooker, and he's still, you know, heavily involved. He's written or at least co-written most of these episodes. Um, it, uh, according to my information, one of the episodes was actually co-written by Rashida Jones. You may know her as the daughter of Quincy Jones, but more importantly, one of the cast of The Office and other films. Rashida Jones, the lovely and talented. And uh, so October 21st, that's all dropping on Netflix. And the trailer, I think we'll try to include a link to the trailer in the show notes if you haven't already seen it. Uh, Moving on, more importantly, this week, I think, was kind of like a watershed moment for virtual reality. 
we had three big releases happen in rapid succession. We had the debut or the on sale uh, debut of the PlayStation VR uh, setup, their virtual reality headset and component. And then Google came out with its uh, own uh, virtual reality headset called Daydream View. And Facebook, finally, I hate to admit this, but I'm not a Facebook fan. And <laughs> as we re- as we reported here, you know, previously, you know, Palmer Lucky, the founder of Oculus Rift, um, has had his problems with regard to politics and some online stuff. I got to say, if uh, Mark Zuckerberg wanted to get me back onto Facebook and wanted to convince me to use the Oculus Rift, what he showed us this week was the way to do it. So let's just dive into all of this. Um, so first, I guess, let's just take the, the oldest, uh, the PlayStation VR. Um, I actually had a chance to play several major titles um, months ago. Sony held a private event in Midtown Manhattan, and I played, I think, a game called Gollum. Another mm-hmm. game, I can't remember. It was like kind of a horror game. Like a, kind of like a Jason meets like a funhouse game. I can't remember the name of it, but I mean, I played some really great games and it's finally out and the reviews seem to be mostly positive. Um, the controllers are getting some critique, but you know, as a system that has titles, oh, Batman Arkham is another title that is available with the PSVR. Uh, that is really cool. Um, there's a video that we'll link in the show notes that shows you like how the whole game starts, how you get into your Batman cowl, how you go down into the Bat Cave. It's amazing. You really feel like Batman. It's great. But yeah, a lot of the reviews are generally positive. They're dinging the controllers a little bit. But um, I mean, have you had a chance to test this? I I've not actually got a chance to try a PlayStation VR. There's so many. Well, not so many, but there's a decent amount of VR headsets out there, and that just happens to be the one that I haven't gotten a chance to try at all. So I was I was wondering about the controllers. Like, is it just like a regular PlayStation controller, or is it actually something that you put your hands into and feels like a, a thing? Well, I think these were around before. They're two basic – they're like wands with mm-hmm. um, orbs on the top of each. And at least in one game I played, it was kind of like, um, okay, well, in Gollum, I used one of the controllers as a sword. And there was very little latency. It really felt – I mean, of course, there was no rumble or force feedback but it felt like, you know, I was kind of, it really felt like I was using a sword. Then there was another game where I had like two guns and in order to like reload them, I had to cock them and I like kind of constantly had to kind of like flip my wrist back. I mean, it was like a workout. It really felt, (laughs) it felt great. I mean, some VR experiences are better than others. I will say like having, I've used the HTC Vive, I've used the Oculus Rift. I've used uh, Google Cardboard. I've used um, Samsung Gear VR. Among all of those, you know, this isn't like the highest quality. It's better than, of course, Google Cardboard and Gear VR. It's not as good as the HTC Vive in terms of pure quality or the Oculus Rift, I'd say, in terms of just like visual quality. But it's good enough. And that's the key. The The key for me for VR is the titles, you know, because if the technology is there, that's fine. But if you don't have the software, the titles, the content, then, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, the, you know, what are you doing with the technology? So I think PSVR is a good buy. Um, I think maybe it's best to wait for the new console to come out. There's like a new PlayStation, a more powerful PlayStation console coming out uh, in November. So it's probably, if you're looking at the PSVR, maybe better to wait until November until the new console's available. I'm all in on PSVR, and I will probably be getting one soon. So moving on, Google Daydream, uh, Daydream View. I haven't actually gotten my hands on it, but from what I've seen, it kind of looks like putting a couch on your face. <laughs> exactly, like, exactly, you know, exactly. Like the, like I think it's more of the line of Google Cardboard and uh, Samsung Gear uh, VR in terms of like what it actually is, kind of like a glorified ViewMaster in a certain sense. Right. I think. Uh, Google Daydream was meant to be used with their Pixel phones or phones that are compatible with Google Daydream, whatever that 
means. So maybe you'll be able to use your iPhone if you can fit it in there properly. I guess they were trying to do some sort of more stylish, homey feel with that couch fabric, but I was not digging the couch fabric. I don't. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, it looks like they covered a Gear VR in sweatpants material. It doesn't. It doesn't really seem to make sense. It. I got the sense that they were maybe trying to make extended wear a, a mm-hmm. bit more comfortable, or maybe give it a premium feel. But this is just not the killer feature that VR headsets were looking for. So, yeah, the fabric thing seems impractical, particularly if you're like a sweaty person and you kind of, you know, yeah. get, you know, start working out with the VR and you start sweating. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that, you know, you necessarily want the sweats, you know, stains in the fabric or whatever. Uh, I heard that the fabric is stain resistant, so that may not be a problem, <laughs> but still, come on, it's fabric. The big difference, I think the advantage that this has over the Gear VR is it has a separate controller. So it has right. like a wand-like controller that you can use to like, move around objects in VR and, you know, select uh, interfaces in VR. So I suspect that there will be at least some simple games that you'll be able to play using the Google uh, Daydream view. But yeah, I, I basically this seems like just a different version of the Samsung Gear VR. And although I've used the Samsung Gear VR for a number of things, um, most notably to watch a Golden State Warriors game live stream huh. via VR, which was amazing. I had courtside seats. I saw Stephen Curry's sweat glistening and it was, it was just great. It was like, I felt like I was really there, but you know, it's still a fairly low quality experience. Maybe because you don't want to put exploding phones near your eyes. Maybe that's, maybe that's a good reason. Yeah. Maybe that's a good reason. Yeah. Maybe that's a good reason to go with daydream view. And to your point about the kind of like the phones that you can use with the device, the way it's built, there's actually an elastic strap that is attached to the cover. And so Google has actually told uh, the people on site, you know, at the event, the launch event that, Many different sizes of phones can actually be put in that little pouch. So it'll be interesting to see like what kind of phones, you know, they'll kind of recommend other than Pixel in the coming months. The Pixel phone itself, by the way, you know, it was kind of lackluster. It looked like, I don't know, brand X iPhone, (laughs) right? I mean, it didn't, it didn't look very attractive. I mean, the, it looked like they were trying to play it safe with the design. The whole thing looked like a big reference design play, like from the VR headset to the phones. It all looked like kind of, hey, industry, you know, if you want to make really cool Android devices, try this kind of stuff. Not very inspiring, not that exciting. However, I have to say, to Google's credit, they do have things like Tilt Brush, which have you seen Tilt Brush? I've not seen Tilt Brush. What is Tilt Brush? Okay, so Tilt Brush works with uh, the HTC Vive uh, VR headset. And Tilt Brush essentially allows you to paint in VR. But instead of just painting, you're actually sculpting your painting. So it's a three-dimensional paintbrush. So you can sculpt a picture or a scene or a character with paint, with, uh, in some cases, animated particles, and you can walk around it in VR. So it's, it's, so it's like a, a painting and a sculpture at the same time. It's fascinating. The only thing at this point is even some of the high-end artists that they've recruited to demonstrate the software – what they've created isn't that impressive. It's stunning to see it in VR and see what they're creating, but it's not like the work that is coming out so far is is just like work that would necessarily inspire legions of new artists to dive into the platform. So, but but it's early days and, you know, I'm I'm excited for what they're doing. I like what uh Google's doing with a lot of their uh VR programs that allow you to kind of explore different parts of the world. Uh, go into different museums. They have like an Abbey Road experience, you know, with the Beatles of VR experience. It, they're doing some pretty cool stuff with VR. It's just the, the headset thing. I was expecting something more on the level of the Oculus Rift. So that was a bit of a disappointment, but, you know, cool name, Daydream. They got the name right. You know, interestingly, Apple's uh, CEO, Tim Cook, has made a big kind of thing of saying that he doesn't think VR is necessarily the immediate future. He thinks that 
AR, augmented reality, is kind of more going to be more relevant in the near future. And, you know, they purchased uh, a company, Mateo, I think about a mm-hmm. year ago that focuses on augmented reality. Um, he just gave a speech about a, a week ago, kind of doubling down on this kind of AR over VR thing. All of this is happening. And meanwhile, in the background, there's still this company, Magic Leap, that is has yet to kind of release their product <laughs> to the public. But they, you know, they keep releasing these stunning videos that appear to merge augmented reality with virtual reality. So I'm watching all these companies, you know, Google, you know, PlayStation, Facebook, they're doing this, all this stuff, but it's like, I'm still waiting for kind of like the haymaker, the hammer to come down from, from Magic Leap and just to take us, to really take us to the next level. But let's talk about Facebook, VR, the Oculus Rift. Wow. Just <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, they came out with like what? A bajillion announcements at Oculus Connect this year. It was insane. Okay, well, yeah. So, yes. Well, so by the way, Palmer Lucky did not show up. Um, My understanding is he did not show up uh, at Oculus Connect because he did not want to be a distraction. Uh, This may be hearsay, but that is um, what my understanding is. Before we get into the most stunning part, we should mention that they showed off a prototype of the Oculus Rift that is a cordless Oculus Rift that includes like a battery on the back of this headset. And it's basically just allows you to walk around in much the same way that you would walk around with a tetherless uh, HoloLens from Microsoft. The HoloLens is augmented reality, but it's just unique in that it gives you this rich experience and there's no tether. So I like that Facebook is already kind of showing off this wireless version of a VR headset. That's makes me feel like they're moving in the right direction. But the big deal, this to me, this is like the biggest thing I saw all week in VR, period, hands down. Even the Batman Arkham Asylum thing, which just blew my mind. I loved it. No, 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 no. This this was amazing. So a few months ago, or earlier this year, uh, Facebook showed off uh, a prototype piece of software, VR software, that allowed you to have an avatar of your body, a very crude, simplistic avatar of your body in virtual reality, and interact with other people who also had their avatars. And these people were located in other locations. And it was so cool that they even uh, had the ability to allow you to take a selfie of yourself in VR. So that was pretty cool, you know, but it seemed, you know, pretty crude and, you know, still rudimentary, but nonetheless impressive. Well, they showed us an update to that uh, this week, and it was a mind blower. Um, do, do you want to describe how that went down? Yeah. So, you know, Zuck he gets on stage and he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to demo this VR thing. And he puts the he puts the Oculus Rift on his head and immediately you see two of his coworkers who are not there with him on stage. And the, the interesting thing is that these avatars, I mean, they still kind of looked cartoony. It's not like it's. 3D rendering of what my face would actually look like. It's kind of a stylized look of these two people, but very much, you know, that you would be able to recognize them. Like a better version of the Mebos that they would put on on like the Nintendo Wii back in the day. But the thing was that they could have really detailed like not really detailed, but good expressions. Like you could show that you're laughing, you could show that you're angry, you could show that you're confused or that you're shocked. And when you're talking, you know, the the mouth would mimic you when you're talking. So you know exactly who's talking. And, you know, you they could do things like, oh, let's put ourselves underwater and look at ourselves in that conference room or let's move us to Facebook's actual conference room and talk there or Well you're well you're well you're moving fast past that. Well, first of all, let's stay where you were at with the expression thing. It wasn't clear to me how they got, maybe you know this, and if you do explain, but it wasn't clear to me how they were able to capture the expressions of the people in VR. Because when you put on the VR headset, I've put on an Oculus, I've put on the, the headset, and it covers your eyes and it straps around your head. So it was unclear to me how they were capturing kind of like, oh, here's an eyebrow raise. Oh, I'm opening my mouth in shock. And I know like they all had controllers in their hands. So that mm-hmm. was clear to me how they were kind of capturing that. But um, it's still unclear to me how they were. Did, did you know how they I did read, that? I read something somewhere saying that they had lip sensors 
and potentially eye sensors. So they're but I think where? They're using, like, how's this? How's that happening? Uh, they did not go into detail about that. So I'm imagining okay. that they were using a slightly more advanced prototype version of the Oculus Rift than what you can actually buy in stores. Because how else could you tell if someone else was talking unless you had some sort of lip sensor to see that they were talking or a microphone in there? Yeah, that one little detail was really impressive. And then they showed off this kind of teleportation uh, feature that we first saw with one character. Like, so we're in the VR world and we have the cartoonish avatars of each person and one person raises their hand and they have this orb. And in the orb, you can kind of see like a little mini representation of like this other scenery. And then they take the orb and they just like throw it in the middle of the space and boom, they're teleported to a new location. That new location could be the surface of Mars, uh, underwater or at Zuck's house. And what was really great is, you know, I thought that they were just going to keep showing us, you know, someone transporting them there by, you know, throwing the ball, but then they showed, okay, what do you see when you actually want to initialize the transport? And so Zuck pulled up, you know, they showed his view of his interface and his interface. It was amazing. It was, you know what it looked like? It looked like lawnmower man. He had like (laughs) this grid of all these locations that he could basically pick, turn into like a little orb in his hand and throw in the middle of the space and transport him there. That was just amazing. And um, so so we went to Mars. We went to, you know, an undersea environment. And then we went to Zuck's house. And as Zuck explains it, he had a camera at his home and there was a room with his dog. And so he was able to go there and kind of like look around, make sure the dog was okay. And then an amazing thing happened. He got a call on Facebook Messenger while he was in VR. And so he answers the call and it's his wife, Priscilla. Priscilla, right? Priscilla Chan? Yeah, Priscilla Chan, yep. So it's his wife, but his wife's not in VR. His wife is just calling from her office. And so you see her face as though you're kind of doing like, uh, I guess, FaceTime? That's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, it looked like FaceTime. And so she's talking to him in this kind of, it looked like a, a kind of smartphone kind of avatar in VR, but you see her actual face in the, on the screen in his hand. And so it was amazing. It was like the marriage of real life and virtual reality. She was talking to virtual reality, talking to Zuck in virtual reality. And then they took it up one step further and he took a selfie of himself as a cartoon avatar, his dog in the virtual environment that he had transported himself to and his wife, Priscilla, who had called in via video on his smartphone avatar in VR. It was all on a virtual selfie stick. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. It was I mean, I I have to say, I just repeat, I'm, I'm just not a fan of Facebook. I don't like the <laughs> policies. I don't like this constantly shifting privacy thing that they have going. Uh, you never know which levers you have to push and pull and and recheck and and re give permission again um what are, what are they doing with our data you know are they you know what tracking are they putting on on my browser as i go around the web all this stuff is very troubling and then of course the recent you know news with Oculus founder Palmer Lucky is disturbing and you know for many people it made them think oh well you know maybe it's HTC Vive for me because maybe i don't want to support someone who is profiting you know someone with these kind of views behind the scenes profiting you know if i you know develop for or buy the Oculus Rift i'm going to say it's going to be a lot harder to <laughs> deny the power and glory of Facebook and Oculus after that demo don't you think Yeah. And, you know, I was waiting during that entire video for when they were going to put like the Facebook plug in, like how this, you know, new social virtual reality environment was going to go plug into Facebook. And I mean, they pulled out the Facebook office and they were like, haha, we're in the Facebook office. But after he took that modern family-esque selfie, uh, he just looks down at his arms in the in the virtual reality world, and there's a, like a little Facebook icon on his virtual reality arms, which he just taps, and immediately it posts that selfie onto his Facebook 
automatically. Yeah, and I I went there and I looked because I got to be honest, I was so blown away. I was like, God, oh, this isn't no, no, that didn't really happen. And I immediately went to his page, you know, like in a separate browser, like let me see that, and it really posted. His VR selfie was there, and I was like, Oh my God, this is this is magic. This is voodoo. I'm scared. <laughs> well, you know, it it's actually one of the first times that we're seeing VR be used in a social communicative setting. Because so far, I think the focus has mostly been on these like 360 worldview things. You know, like with the just like what we were talking about with the Google Daydream uh, view, where you could go to Mars and you could look around and have like a sort of viewmaster experience. Or it's been very game focused but i think this is possibly the first instance where we're seeing it how it might be used as like a work productivity tool or how you might hang out with friends in vr they played cards they played cards in vr that was amazing i mean it sounds simple just us saying it here but we'll include a link to the video in our show notes trust me when you see them play cards in vr from three different locations you will be blown away as well. Definitely. And, you know, the other thing that really got me thinking about it was a lot of people at my office today were out sick. And if we had this technology, that wouldn't even be an excuse anymore because you could just put on the, the headset and put on the harness work and no, no more sick days from that, that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Put put on that harness, put on that VR harness and get to work. Damn it. No sick days for you. So, yeah, so this was a, I think, a groundbreaking moment in VR and for Facebook, frankly, because um, there's this iconic photo that uh, popped up, I think it was earlier this year uh, at the Mobile World Congress, where a number of people were shown wearing uh, VR headsets and Mark Zuckerberg is walking to the stage and it, it almost looked like he kind of like, was lording over all of these like VR drones. And I have to say, looking at this demo, maybe that was a view, a preview of the future, because this is, um, this is going to make not using Facebook very hard. If this is the quality of the experience. Now he didn't, uh, outline exactly when, at least I don't remember him outlining exactly when this will be available to the public. But I mean, if they're using it, with the facility that they did on stage at this demo this week, it can't be that far off. And I have to say, I'm going to have to try it. I'm like, you know, this is, this is lawnmower, man. This is, this is the dream. Does this mean we all have to buy Oculus Rift headsets? I mean, I mean, look with what you saw. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and make the test. Like, so you saw what I saw. Can you deny that? Are you, are you prepared to, if you know that half of your friends are experiencing those kinds of VR, you know, transport, transporter, you know, experiences, uh, collaborations, what if you can play one of your board games with your friends in VR instead oh, I'm of? I'm so in. I'm so in. <laughs> there you go. I'm I mean, so you know, in. There you you go. know, um, and that might actually just tie into one of the things that they also announced at uh, the Connect, where they announced that mid-range VR system that would be somewhere in between what the current high-end Oculus Rift system was and the Samsung Gear VR. So maybe they've acknowledged that the price point is a little too steep for what you know the average Joe might like, and maybe this mid-range system would work real well with uh, the social thing that they showed us on uh, yesterday. So who knows? Maybe if they could find a way to get the price point to be a little sweeter and have this offering on top of that, you know, it sounds like they've got a home run right there. And yeah, and I think the biggest thing that they accomplished this week is giving VR a purpose. Because I think one of the biggest problems that these... Uh, higher end headsets have had is just that, you know, many people who aren't obsessed with VR, like myself, are just maybe like, well, why do I need this? Why mm-hmm. am I going to spend, you know, thousands of dollars to make sure I have the best VR experience? When, and then what am I going to use it for? Am I going to watch one or two movies, play one or two games, and then that's it? But what Facebook just did is they gave us a daily use case scenario, something that would allow you to get your money's worth out of using this on a daily basis, whether it's to communicate with other people, you know, take virtual trips. Um, just it. I mean, I have to say this. 
I was blown away. I can't stop watching this video. <laughs> I mean, it felt like a concept video. That's how amazing it was. Except it works. Yeah. And so that was uh, Facebook's Oculus Connect presentation. It looks like the future, but it's actually happening. So moving on, we're going to talk about Westworld, HBO's new science fiction series that may be taking up where Game of Thrones left off. You're one of them, aren't you? You're not real. Bring yourself back online. <laughs> Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. You're in my dream. I designed every part of this place. Not a theme park, but an entire world. You and everyone you know were built to gratify the desires of the people who pay to visit your world. Just don't forget, they're not real. And so that's just a brief snippet of the new version of Westworld, the original version of Westworld again, a B-movie essentially from the 70s. And I would say the biggest star of that version was Yul Brenner, and he was in the role of the android. I don't want to spoil it because if you haven't seen the original Westworld, I think it's worth going to take a look. It's really, really good. I mean, again, really, really good if you love, you know, B movie sci-fi films. And you know what I didn't realize about the original is that it was written and directed by Michael Crichton. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. That was, that was. I, I was I was real surprised because I had no idea he had actually directed a film before. So well, you know what? Actually, before we get into the new one, yeah, you just um, came to the to the original. Tell me what you thought. I was surprised by the concept of it. Um, it was it was kind of campy in a in a B movie type way, but the ideas that they had were were you know when you think about when the film was made. I think it 1973. was nineteen seventy three. Um, so if you think about it from that context, it's shocking. Like, um, I think Logan's run was around the same time too. And, you know, if we look at Logan's run and Westworld now from a special effects point of view, of course, you're going to think it looks a little dated. But what was amazing for me for Westworld was I didn't think that it was all that dated. Of course, when they show stuff like computers and they're gigantic computers the size of walls or something. Oh, yeah, you know, it's something from a different time period. But just the concept was there. And it's just another testament to how much of a visionary Michael Crichton was in terms of science fiction that he could think of of robots that look like humans and things like concepts like computer vision and have that work into a plot in such like a beautiful way the computer vision is one of my favorite yule brenner's computer vision the view of the android as he's you know then this is pre terminator this is before we see terminator vision this is before all that before that, we see Yul Brenner's computer vision as he scans, you know, the various terrains looking for the heat signatures of a human or a horse. And do you remember not just the vision, but do you remember the sound? They, they would let you yeah. hear how the, the android was hearing. Oh, my God. It was so great. There's like a sound where um, he's listening for the human on horseback. And the sound effect, you know, that the Android's hearing, I just yeah. can't get that out of my I, I love this film so much. And this is why I was so worried about the HBO version, because this is really one of my favorite films. When I was watching the original, it just also struck me how well he he kind of envisioned how different their experience in the world is from humans because on the surface, obviously humans are playing the androids in the original uh, one as well. But just like, as you said, with the computer vision and also the, the way that they hear how they perceive the world is very different, even if on the surface, they don't look all that different. So I thought that was just a real nice touch that he put into that. And it's different in, in the HBO version. Yeah. And so one thing that um, the original has that didn't show up in the first episode, but shows up in the second episode is the two kind of main characters in the original Westworld. You have kind of two vacationing guys, two bros. One's kind of like a little naive. One's kind ah. of, you know, 
He knows he's already been here. He knows what goes on. And that's what we see in episode two. So before we go there, and which is the the better comparison between the uh with the original, uh let's just go with the the debut. So the the debut focused on, I would say, Evan Rachel Wood. Dolores. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright, Thandie Newton, James Marsden, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, he he appears to be like the creative, you know, genius behind all of this. He's like the old, you know, he created like the first ones and they, they lay out, they world build for us. They show us everything that's going on and they lay it out very methodically in layers. They show us what's going on. And it's interesting in the beginning, it's not entirely clear. I could imagine someone who doesn't have the backstory of this. And this is, I think this, this was the right way to do it. I could see someone who doesn't have the backstory watching the premiere of Westworld and thinking, okay, really? It's just a Western? I thought there was supposed to be more to this. Because it really does look like just a regular Western. And they really do allow the android characters to seem real. And then as things move on, it's I think this is just a very sophisticated take on the original version. I love that Jeffrey Wright is working. I just, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a former Fort Greene resident. Jeffrey Wright lives in Fort Greene. Love the love the guy in the Bond films. Just I have a special place in my heart for him. He's also Basquiat. Just love Basquiat. James Marsden is kind of like a movie guy usually, and yeah, so it's kind of cool to see him. He's, he's Cyclops in in the uh, most recent iteration of X Men. Uh, not not uh, apocalypse, but you know, adult Cyclops, uh, and he, yeah, he he's he's mostly kind of in some rom coms as well, so it's kind of nice to see him do something a little grittier. Yeah, and uh, Evan Rachel Wood is kind of like I would say, like one of the main characters. She's doing yeah. a pretty good job. Yeah, I'd, I'd say she's the main android, or it seems like she's the one that they're focusing in on as being special, I guess. Or the one whose story that we're kind of invested in. Um, and- ah, for episode one. You haven't seen episode yeah. two. Episode two, right. we get to see Thandie Newton uh, in many ways, I will say. Uh, <laughs> we see uh, we see her, the many, the many sides, I'll say, of Thandie Newton. And we forgot to mention Ed Harris, who is kind of like this mysterious character. He appears to be a guest. He appears to be... You know, well, when you go to Westworld, you're kind of given a choice to be a good guy or a bad guy. He appears to have chosen the bad guy role, and he seems to be pretty sadistic. He's He loves torturing the androids, killing them, you know, making them kind of beg for their lives or whatever. He's, he's pretty sadistic. I, I, I guess I don't want to get into spoilers, but I will just say in the second episode, some of his motivation becomes a little bit more clear. And he's looking for something. And I'm not going to say what he's looking for, but he's looking for something that is not immediately obvious in the first episode. Yeah, no, in the first episode, he scalps, I think, another android. And he's looking at the bottom of the scalp. And I was like, oh, there's a strange pattern there. And he talks about finding a game within the game of some sort. That's, yeah, it's related to that, yeah. Yeah, but the thing about the Ed Harris character that really kind of jumped out at me, especially having seen the the original film so so soon, is that initially when I was watching, I thought he was the analog to, um, or you know, like the, you know, the the counterpart or the reflection of the Yul Brenner character. Maybe because they were just dressed the same and they both. Maybe had he this. is though. Ah. Ah, we don't know. See, he's acting like he's human, but maybe he's actually just another android. We don't know. We don't we don't know. But I just I got that feel. Maybe it's because they were dressed similar and had a very methodical way of walking. That just brings me to another thought that I had between the two is that in the original, I felt that the androids they kind of, A, they knew what they were a little more because towards the end, you know, there's a little bit of a spoiler for the original. Towards the end, one of the hapless uh, uh, vacationers, the bro the bro guys that we were mentioning earlier, comes across a woman and she's saying, help me, help me, help me. And he tries to give her a drink of water and she's like, no, 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 no not water, not water. <laughs> and, and, I, I'll know, never forget that. That was so amazing. I love that scene. Yeah, but that that kind of indicates that she knows that water is going to yeah. make her short circuit, which yeah. it does. She's like, no, 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 don't do it. 
But but the the robots or androids in the updated HBO version don't seem to know what they are. They they're very kind of not in the know. Uh, I think a little child comes up to Evan Rachel Wood's character Dolores in in the pilot, and he's like, "You're not real," and she just looks at him like, "What? What are you talking about, kid? Of course I'm real." Like that kind of feel, and also. In the original, the robots are much more staid. They're more um, stoic. But you see the whole like the whole range of emotions with the androids in the new one. So I just thought it was very interesting that in the however many years between then and now, I'm not good at mental math, guys, uh, that our perception of what we imagine advanced robots to be has has changed to the point where we think that they reflect us more in terms of an emotional standpoint. And also the idea that androids that can pass for humans being real, I think, is part of the reason why you have kind of a more sophisticated, realistic approach, because we already have at this point uh, androids that are, well, not walking around, but expressing emotion, speaking on a very rudimentary level. And so we have this in in real life, uh, in, you know, Japan, you know, a couple places in Germany are, you know, developing androids like this. So I expect that we'll have this in real life. Um, but I think that that would be the, the main thing that I, you know, back in 1973, you know, come on, we had what, Robbie the robot? I, mean, I, I think that was like <laughs> the closest thing we had to any kind of real robot. And so in the premiere episode, what I really liked is that they didn't make us wait for the tension. In other words, I think maybe in the hands of another showrunner, we might have to wait until episode six or seven to understand that the robots or the robots, the androids are slowly becoming sentient and they're angry at the abuse that they've suffered, mm -hmm. you know, over the years. But no, in the first episode, they show us, hey, this is coming, which is great because I got to be honest. The whole, this is not, you don't want to play the wire here. You don't want to do the slow burn with androids because, you know, I mean, not everyone's a sci-fi head. And so you got to, like, get people invested early. So that was a good choice, I think. The android that they kind of, like, separated, I can't remember his name, but the father of right. Evan, the android father of Evan Rachel Wood, that guy scared the hell out of me. That was a, that he's doing some great, you know, <laughs> fake robot rage. That was some pretty good stuff there. What I'm seeing is that there's this interesting mix of cold calculation and human implanted faux emotion that's at play. Right. And so you see in his face this kind of simmering hatred, this kind of revenge, but you can tell on some level. He's drawing, the android's drawing that from the programming that he's been given as kind of a Western character because he's just an android. So where's the rage coming from? Yes, he's feel he's he's felt wronged, but this kind of human, you know, curvature to that anger seems to, you know, also come from his programming. So that was fascinating. The other thing that kind of struck out at me from the first episode was just in the in the original movie. I got the sense that you're empathizing with the two bros who go in there and the androids are the ones that we should be afraid of. But at least in the first episode, I wasn't so sure if the androids were the ones we should be afraid of, but the human guests, just how blasé they were. Um, I think you see some tour, some of the guests and they're just like, oh, I want a really bad one or, you know, it's no fun if they're all good. Or, you, you know, that kind of thing or just like the way that they think that they can just or at least the Ed Harris character thinks he can just drag people and enact such violence upon them and be fine with it because they're not real. In the same way that the first episode belonged to Evan Rachel Wood, the second episode belongs to Thandie Newton, and she does an amazing job. I feel like, you know, watching her performance makes me think, you know, I, we should be seeing more of her. I just don't understand why I'm not seeing more of her work. Um, she's an amazing actress. I mean... Just the idea of having to play these androids, you know, whether it's her, you know, James Marsden, Evan Rachel Wood, you know, playing an android with emotion that, you know, the emotion turns off. That's not easy. I can't. I mean, that just seems like it's to sell it, you know, because I'm you know, that's my big thing. Like, can you sell it? And so far I'm on, I'm in, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer. But uh, yeah, the second episode belongs to Thandie Newton 
And I think we it draws us deeper into this whole just the the notion of where are they going with their emerging sentience. And by the way, it was released a few days early because its normal air date is on Sunday. And of course, as we all know, this Sunday is the debate between uh, Trump and uh, Clinton. So is that why they released it early? Well, that's that's the theory some people have, you know, because they didn't want because look. It is clear that this is the most epic presidential uh, election in history. (laughs) And so the ratings on that are going to be, I mean, particularly after what happened this past week. So I think HBO was super smart in saying, okay, look, let's just get this out early and try to get some views because Sunday is about to get dominated. Scheduling issues aside, this is I'm in. We know that Game of Thrones is coming to an end. So HBO really needs kind of like a new kind of fantasy sci-fi franchise to hang its hat on. So this might be it. I'm in. I'm in every Sunday for this, for the foreseeable future, you know, assuming the casting stays as high caliber as it is and the writing stays high. Uh, But I mean, before we kind of wrap up, I mean, what do you think this has to tell us about the supposed singularity, kind of like this idea in real life that uh, software and, robots will kind of come together in this moment sometime in the 2030s to kind of immediately surpass, will become self-aware and, you know, surpass humanity. I mean, do do you think this is kind of, this has any connection? Is this just kind of uh, fun times with androids? (laughs) I think it definitely has a connection because what sets this all off is a firmware update, which they call reveries, and which kind of gives them the ability to access their own past. And I think, you know, we've talked about it on the pod before when we talk about the singularity and how a lot of visionaries are concerned that we program or, you know, kind of craft AI to act in a way that's positive and views humanity kindly. And this kind of illusion that we have control over how these um, artificial intelligences will view us, their creators, uh, so to speak, uh, with a kind eye, or whether they'll take how we act and turn a little more, I don't want to say nefarious, but, you know, a little more resentful of of what we've done to create them. And I think Westworld is kind of playing on that a little bit because in one of the closing scenes of the first episode, they're just like, oh, Dolores, uh, the Evan Rachel Wood character, is she's one of the oldest hosts and you'd think after all this time and after all this programming and all the abuse that's been done to her, she'd be upset or something. But, you know, we've got it under control and actually listen to her, listen to her talk about what she thinks about the world. And she goes on to say that people see ugliness in the world, but she only sees beauty. And then, you know, they ask her if she'd ever kill a living thing, and she actually kills a fly after saying she would never harm a living thing. So, you know, I think we have this huge um, arrogance that if we're smart enough, we could forestall or even completely circumvent a negative singularity but the thing about our intelligence is that you can't really control it it thinks for itself whoa mind blown mind blown (laughs) good point agreed and just to be clear and just before you know we don't want to forget to mention where this came from the uh creators of this version of westworld are jonathan nolan and lisa joy and you might know jonathan nolan from the nolan brothers of the dark knight series Jonathan Nolan wrote uh, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Terminator Salvation, The Dark Knight Rises, and Interstellar. So he's got the credentials to give us something pretty strong. It's uh, being executive produced by Nolan and uh, Lisa Joy, as well as, of course, J.J. Abrams and uh, Brian Burke. Yeah, J.J. Abrams has his finger in every pie Everywhere. Everywhere. Does the man sleep? No. Yeah. And so Nolan directed the first episode and um, it's just the effects so far are pretty good. You know, it seems like they were kind of uh, subtle and they kind of, you know, they kind of held back. But so far it looks good. You know, by the one thing I, uh, I've heard online and I'm wondering if you if you caught any of this, some theories out there are saying that maybe this is occurring on a different planet. Did you get any of that? Vibe? No, I got that. I, I think they're they're on our planet. I don't I didn't get that vibe 
at all. So, well, yes, I think the idea would be that maybe this is a resort planet or planetoid that we found. And that's why there's so much, like we have so much land and that's, you know, just kind of why everything is set up that way. And maybe, you know, when you see the directors of everything kind of looking down at the environments, they're kind of looking at this circular half orb kind of thing. So maybe they're in a satellite above the planetoid. I don't know. That's kind of like a theory I heard. I don't know how much I've seen there. I mean, but that would be a nice kind of pullback reveal over that time. Would be. That would be, but I don't necessarily buy it. I just think maybe, and maybe it's because I just watched the original and that's imprinted into my brain. But I kind of think it's more like they've taken a mountain or something or a very large area, what seems like an large area, because it seems like it's just a town and some rural area behind it. So, Well, I'll tell you why I bring that up, um, specifically right after you mentioned the singularity, because... You know, if the singularity has to do with the idea of self-aware robots or self-aware, you know, software and, you know, androids, the next step there is to think about the rights of machines. Like, would they have legal rights? So the reason why I think that there is something to that this theory might be right is, you know, maybe in a future where you could imbue androids with emotions and give them memories and make them feel like they were actually living creatures and, and had their own consciousness. Uh, maybe in that future, it would be illegal to treat them in, in such a way to abuse them, to have sex with them over and over again, to kill them over and over again, to, you know, basically play with their minds. So a solution for that would be to do it on a different planet. And that's why, you know, you, you know, if you want to take this vacation, you have to go to the planet and, you know, and that's where all the illegal stuff happens. Kind of like gambling. Like, you know, you go to uh, Vegas to gamble, but in this case, a different planet. That would be a really great twist. And if, we happen to have figured it out when only two episodes are out. Well, genius, genius. genius. Uh, and that, and with that, we will call an episode to this episode of the Mars Magazine podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And you can visit us on the interwebs at twitter.com slash Mars Magazine or at marsmagazine.com. This has been Adario Strange with Vic Song. And we will see you in the future.